The following podcast is brought to you by the Bridge Bible Church in Somerset, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com. Revelation chapter 20 today, and I, I have to tell you, like, I had a whole lot of information and notes and study and stuff, so I, I'm breaking it into two. <laughs> we will do chapter 20, verses 1 through 6, and we'll see Satan bound, and uh, we'll see Christ setting up the millennial kingdom. We'll talk about who's in that kingdom We'll talk about what that kingdom looks like a little bit today, um, and then next week we'll finish chapter 20. So those who went on the retreat, the ladies on the retreat, actually they'll get a kind of a recap when they come back next week. They'll get to hear a little bit about the beginning half of what they missed today. So uh, I guess that's, that's good for them uh, in that sense, but there's a lot for us really to kind of look at and see and just be in awe of as God fulfills his purposes and his plans and as he brings things to its rightful conclusion. So will you pray with me and then I'll read, uh, I'll go into a little bit of background and then we'll read our passage together here in a minute, but just pray with me if you will. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love and mercy that is revealed in Christ Jesus. We thank you that at the cross we have our sins forgiven that we can be born again, made new. And Father, there is a hope. There is a hope that we have as revealed in Scripture for this, this day that we're about to look at, your return, where you set up your millennial reign on the earth, your people with you, ruling with you, things set at peace, Satan restrained. Father, we just, we just marvel at it. Only God, only God. So we give you worship, we give you praise, we give you the honor and glory. It's all due to you. So as we read through this passage today, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us hearts to receive the truth. Motivate your people to walk in your ways and to share this hope that we have. Father, we, we pray that we are encouraged through what we read today in Revelation chapter 20. In Jesus' name we ask this, Father. Amen. Well, as we get into this, I would just want to give you a little bit of an overview. So here's a, here's a chart. So this kind of walk you through where we've been. We talked about the church ages, and that took us through the beginning of Revelation all the way up through chapter 3. And then you see that there's three things here that say rapture, mid-trib rapture, and the return of Christ. And there's a little rapture with a question mark by it. Some people think that there won't really be a rapture, there'll just be a catching up at the very end when Jesus returns, and that's where we are here is talking about the return. We put the rapture, or at least I put the rapture, I don't know where you put the rapture, but I put the rapture at the beginning, at the end of the church age, that the church is taken up uh, and is with the Lord through the seven years of tribulation. So from the 
uh, end of the church age to the return of Christ, you have the seven years of tribulation. That's what the majority of the book of Revelation is about. It's all the judgments and it's all that God's getting people's attention. He's calling them back to himself. He's pouring out judgment on the earth and he's getting Israel to return as well. They're having a softening of their heart. They're seeing Christ actually as Messiah. They're receiving him. They're coming in. It's the fulfillment of uh, Romans uh, that Paul is talking about, about their coming into the fold again. And so you have this seven-year tribulation and then the return of Jesus. And at the return, uh, there is the beginning of the millennial rule or the millennial reign. And then at the end of that time, there's the great white throne judgment and new heavens and new earth. And we'll get to all of that. So you can see that this is kind of the, the, the timeline, so to speak, of what Revelation looks like and what we've gone through. Now there's only one place in the Bible where it talks about a millennial reign, and it's here in Revelation. But it's not the only place where it's actually spoken about, but only by using this term. So millennial means a thousand years. So if you say the millennial thousand-year reign, you're actually saying the thousand-year, thousand-year reign. You're, you're just repeating yourself. Um, just put that in your head next time you say that. You'll be like, the millennial thousand-year? Oh, I just said it twice, didn't I? Um, so there's a couple of views about this. But here, what we get in Revelation is that there is a, a kingdom coming, that Christ will rule, it's a millennial reign, and we, we get to see when it is and how long it is. That's really what Revelation tells us about this, is, is, the, is the time length and, and the placement of it. But there are other scriptures that speak about this kingdom, and we're going to look at that a little bit today. So there's a couple of views, and uh, I, I hope to do them justice. I'm not trying to... Uh, make mine look better than anybody else's. Uh, I, you know, we've been going from a premillennial view, and I'll talk about that in a second, but there's a couple other views, and one is the all-millennial view of Scripture, uh, of how they look at Revelation. Uh, they would say that there's no literal millennial kingdom. That's what all-millennial, without the thousand-year reigns. They would say that that thousand-year reign that we read here in Revelation is symbolic of the church age. So, we're in that millennial reign, actually. That's what they would say. It's symbolic of the church age. We're actually in that time period. That's what the amillennialist would say. So in that view, they would have to also say that in this moment, Satan is bound. He is not active in the world. He is actually bound. Now, the other demons and other evil powers and principalities may be loosed and still working, but Satan himself, they would say, is bound. Uh, they would say the tribulation is still to come, and that when Christ returns, then he will judge and it will be new heavens and new earth. So there wouldn't be the millennial reign on the earth. It would just be his coming, his judgment, and then the end of all things. So that's the all-millennial view. Um, and there's many who hold that view. Um, it's just one way that they've interpreted uh, Revelation. There's the post-millennial view. Uh, now this says that Christ returns after the thousand-year reign. So the post-millennial would say that the church actually ushers in a, a time period where there's a great harvest of souls and the world is transformed and the church really is ruling and reigning for a thousand years. Like the, the kingdom of God has come through the preaching of the gospel and people have come in. There's been a great harvest of souls. It's transformed the world. And after that thousand years, then Jesus returns post-millennial. That's the idea. So Christ doesn't rule with his people on the earth. He comes after the thousand years. So that's the idea behind post-millennial view, and so then when he does come, there would be the judgment and the new heavens and the new earth. Where we have been preaching from, and where I have been preaching from, I should say, is my view is that it's a premillennial view. 
that Christ comes before the millennial reign, that he will return and then establish a kingdom. Then there's a thousand years of, of his reign and that believers will rule with him on the earth. We'll look at some of those passages. The promises that were left unfulfilled to Israel are fulfilled in that millennial reign. So there are Old Testament scriptures about the kingdom, about Messiah and what Messiah will do and how he must fulfill certain things. Israel is still looking for that to be literally fulfilled, and, and those are fulfilled in the millennium or millennial reign uh, of Jesus. And at the end, then there is the judgment, and then the new heavens and the new earth. So the premillennial view is really the only view that sees the Old Testament promises fulfilled the way the Jews have been looking for them to be fulfilled in Messiah. And so I believe that's another strong testament as to why the premillennial historical, prophetic, literal view is, is the right view to hold. Um, some things that, that need to be fulfilled here. Messiah will be king and all the nations will worship him. So he will come and he will set himself up on the earth, literally come and rule and reign over the nations. Uh, that's a promise out of Jacob, of Genesis 49 and Psalm chapter 2. Uh, those are both talking about this. Uh, the second one, Messiah will establish the last uh, earthly kingdom or empire. So his empire, his reign, his rule is forever. He is the last one. He comes, he sets up his rule, his reign, and there will be no king after him. He will rule for eternity. He will be the one who has the last uh, empire that will be established. It will be his kingdom that, that goes on forever. Uh, Messiah will purge evil from the earth. So oh, the other one comes out of Daniel chapter 2. Number three, that Messiah will purge evil from the earth comes out of Joel chapter 3. So there's this sense that when Messiah comes, he will get rid of all evil. And we're going to see how he does that today and, and, and what that looks like. And so he will purge evil from the earth when he sets up his, his, his reign. Uh, Messiah will have a government that is of peace so that comes out of Isaiah chapter 2. So we read these at Christmas time. Usually the government will be on his shoulders. He's prince of peace. And, and so we think of these things. Well, they're looking for their Messiah to come and establish a government that will bring peace to the world, that there will be peace under Messiah, perfect justice, perfect government, perfect peace, perfect rule. So they're looking for this to be uh, established. Uh, Israel will dwell with their God in the promised land. Genesis 15 is the reference for that. Israel's looking to actually dwell with Messiah in the promised land. He has given them a place. He's given them a land, a place to dwell, it created boundaries for them, and his people are looking for the day or when he will return, when Messiah will stand among them, and they will be dwelling in the land with him. God will be with his people. They're looking for that to be fulfilled. Uh, and then the renewed worship of God, Micah chapter 4, Psalm 110, Daniel 7, Isaiah 11, talks about this renewed worship that happens. So when Christ comes, when Messiah comes and he sets up his rule on the earth, there is a renewal of worship of God. Right worship will be established. This renewal will happen. And so then I would also add that Messiah will remove the influence of Satan. That's, that's in the New Testament here, but I would add that myself, that they're looking for this time that as evil is purged, like there's this promise given 
to God's people that Satan will be restrained. His presence will be done. He will be judged. So these all are fulfilled at the second coming, at his establishment of his kingdom. So again, it's true that only Revelation tells us that the kingdom of God is a millennial kingdom, but it doesn't tell us what it's like. As we read this passage, you're going to notice, like, what is that like? What is the kingdom like? Okay, he sets it up, but what's it look like? What's it supposed to be like? So we'll look at some passages. So let's look together at Revelation chapter 20, and let's read 1 through 6 together. And it says this, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit, if you have a different translation, it may say the, the abyss, to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he sees the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. This is the word of the Lord. So in verse 1, we read this. It says, then I saw, and there's that I saw language again. So remember, coming from chapter 19 into 20, John has talked about the things he heard and what he heard and what he heard at the beginning of 19. And now we're in 20, and he's repeating over and over and over the things he saw, the things he saw. So here is another image. He says, and then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. So this angel comes down from heaven, and he is charged with the capture and the binding and the removal of Satan. That is, that is his job. So he has this large chain or a great chain, and he has the keys to the bottomless pit or to the abyss. Now this word, bottomless pit or abyss, it shows up nine times in Scripture. It's used eight times in Revelation, and it's used one time in Luke Chapter 8, verse 31. And here it says, And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now, this passage is when Jesus is doing his earthly ministry. He's walking the earth, and he comes to this man in the tombs who is possessed by many uh, demons. And I would not use the word possessed. It's used uh, in our English translation. I think the better word is demonized. He is being influenced, controlled by many demons. And he says, what is your name? They say, we are legion, for we are many. I think one demon is enough, don't you? <laughs> but he has many. And is it a true legion number, or is it just that he has many and it's like a legion? We, I don't know. But the point is that this man has a multitude 
of demonic influences controlling his life, and he is and he is afraid, or the demons are afraid, that Jesus is going to put them into the abyss. They don't want to go into the abyss. They don't want to be chained. They don't want to be put in darkness for the day of judgment. They, they, they're imploring him. They begged him, not to command them to de- begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Why? Because they want to be as free as long as they can. They know that their time is short, and Messiah is standing in front of them. Christ is here, and they know their time of judgment is coming, and they don't want to be in the bottomless pit and darkness bound for that day when he will judge them. So they, they're just like, just send us out. And so Christ sends them into a herd of pigs, and they commit suicide. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to. I had to. I'm sorry. But... Um, so this pit, this bottomless pit, this uh, abyss, there are angels there now, fallen angels there, who have been there since the rebellion in heaven. From the moment that God cast them out of his presence, there are angels that, were so, um, that would be so detrimental to the earth, that would cause such great harm, that God just bound them. And these guys don't want to be with those guys. They're like, just let us roam around until you're going to bring judgment. If you look at Joel, or Jude, I'm sorry, Jude chapter 6, verse 6, it says this. Jude only has one chapter, by the way. And the angels who did not stay with their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept an eternal change under gloomy darkness until the judgment of that great day. So there's angels that are bound there right now. They will not be released. They will not have any influence on this earth. And it makes me, I mean, my mind, I think, well, what would they do? What are those guys like? I was like, they're pretty bad dudes. God just said, you're going to be bound in darkness. And the other demons don't want to be in the abyss with these demons. They're just like, just let us roam around. But this is the abyss that we're talking about. This, this abyss is where Satan will be chained and he will be thrown down into that for a thousand years. Verse 2 and 3, it makes clear who we're talking about. It says, and he, that's the angel, he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. So we have... The names of Satan here, of the devil, he's the dragon, the, the, the rebel of heaven, the one who rebelled against God and his tail swept a third of the stars. He is the ancient serpent. He's the one in the garden that we see deceiving Adam and Eve. He is the devil, whose that name means accuser. So when it says in the scriptures that he is accusing us before the the Lord, night and day, that's his name, the devil, the accuser. He is the one who comes and brings accusation. And Satan, which means adversary. So here you have the dragon, the ancient serpent, the devil, and Satan. This is who we're talking about. There's, there's no uh, mistaken who is being bound in this moment. And he is bound for a thousand years. Anything stand out in that verse to you? 
as you read it. Here it says, uh, it says, seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil, Satan, bound him for a thousand years, threw him into the pit, shut it, sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Anything just kind of stick out to you right there? Like, what? How about that he's going to be released? It's like, can't we just keep him in there? Like, we, we put him in there, right? Like, why do we need to release him for a thousand years, after a thousand years? Like, it's a good question. We're going to get to that. I don't know if I answer it totally correctly, but I think I have a good answer as to why. Verse 7, though, gives us a little bit of a, of a clue of what's going to happen. It says, after the thousand years, he's going to be released, and he's going to come out, he's going to deceive the nations, and they're going to cause a great war. There's going to be a, a, a re, another rebellion against Christ and his people. But why? That's the question. Like, if we have a millennial reign where it's like a utopia, I mean, Christ is ruling. There's peace. There's, there's harmony on the earth. Why would Satan need to be released at the end of that time? He's already been captured. He's already been thrown into the abyss. What, what more needs to happen? Why release him? Let's look at verse 4. We'll get to that answer. So you just keep it. Keep that question there. Verse 4. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded from, for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their forehead or their hands, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And so this is part of the who are we talking about? Who, who is there? So we see these thrones and so who are, who's going to be in the millennial reign, <clears throat> in the millennial kingdom? First, it's those who are in the rapture, those who are caught up as, as God raptures the church, raptures the bride. They are going to be with him through the tribulation, through the seven years when Christ returns. They are returning with him. They have glorified bodies. They have been transformed, and they are coming back with Christ to the earth as he sets up his authority, his reign, his kingdom. And it says here that they're ruling with him. So this includes the tribulation saints when we see those who are beheaded for the testimony. So moving uh, from the time of rapture to the time of his return, those who lose their life for the testimony also are coming back. They are glorified. They are ruling and reigning. And we get this from 1 Corinthians 6. One of the places where we see this is, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Paul talking to the church. Again, this context is that they're having a hard time judging normal, lesser things. And he's saying, you got to start getting this right because your job is to reign with Messiah when he comes. You will rule the nations. You will rule the world with him. How, how much more <laughs> do you have to get this right? Like, come on, guys. Like, you're, you're missing the mark on the lesser things. But his point is that we will judge the world with Christ that we will rule with him. So you have those who are raptured. Uh, the second group that will be in the millennial reign are, are those of faith after the rapture up to his return that are Jewish. 
So you're going to have many who are saved who come and receive Christ as Messiah. We talked about the 144,000 who will not perish. God will take them all the way through uh, the, the tribulation. And there's going to be a multitude that they win to the Lord, Jew and Gentile. But there's going to be people who don't perish at the end of this time. So there's going to be other believers, some Jews, who after the rapture has occurred and the gospel has been preached and judgment has been poured out, there's going to be Jews who, who come to faith, and when Christ returns, they're still in the flesh, and they're there. They see Christ at his return. The other group that is there are, are the Gentiles. So a third group that's there are those of faith after the rapture up to the return who make it through the tribulation that are Gentiles, who have received Christ as Savior. Well, what about those who didn't receive him, but they made it through? What about those preppers, the guys who are living in the bunkers or in the caves? And the, you know, like, what about those people you know, that, that just do whatever it, it takes to survive? And they didn't take the mark, and they didn't do any of that, and they don't care about Jesus. They're just doing whatever they can. What about those people? Well, there are going to be those who did take the mark and do make it through. There's going to be those who are... Uh, making it through, but what happens? Well, let's look at this passage, Matthew 25, verse 21 through 46. This is the sorting of the sheep and the goats. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. Uh, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two, two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, uh, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you, you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But the master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And my coming, I should have received what was, was my own with interest. So take, so take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats." And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who were blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, 
Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will... Answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And he will answer them, saying, Truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So what we have here is Jesus talking about this this sorting of sheep and goats. And it looks like on this appearance that those who come into life, into eternal life, are those who actually help the Jewish people. Now, is that how you find salvation? By works? Is he saying it's a work gospel? No. No, but their faith that Christ is Messiah, their faith of Messiah to come and return, who they're believing on, who they're, they're showing it by their actions. They're helping the Jews. So they're... they're they're for them, and Jesus returns, and he gathers the nations, and he's starting to sort them out. And those who have faith were those who are favorable towards God's people. They, too, believe, and they're helping. They're doing what they can to help. And so he says, you are blessed. Come over into my kingdom. So they're showing their faith by their works. James talks about that. He says, it's not by works we're saved, but, but it's by faith we're saved. But James is saying, I'll show you my faith by what I do, how I live. That's a good question for us today, church. How do, how do you live? Do people know that you're Jesus' people? What's your, what are your, what's your life look like? What are, what are the works of your hands? How do you speak? What do you think on? What do you do? Where do you go? How do you live life? Does it look different than the world? Jesus' people look different. They behave different. They live different. That's what he's so, showing here. He says, on that day I show up and I say, these people live differently And I see their faith, and he welcomes them into the kingdom. The others, he says, you did not do these things, and you're against me. And many of those who are there uh, probably also had taken the mark of the beast and and worshipped him. And so he sorts them. And what does he do? He sends them off into eternal punishment. They are cursed. They are judged. And then when he sends them off to hell, they do not enter into the millennial kingdom. So we have these groups. We have these groups entering into the millennial reign of Christ. We have the church and those who are with him, who are glorified, who will reign with him. We have the Jews who are still in the flesh, and we have the Gentiles who are still in the flesh. And they're going to be living in the millennial reign of King Jesus, and they're going to be doing what man was first told to do, go and multiply and be plentiful and replenish the earth. They're, they're going to go and, and live life. They're going to have offspring. They're going to have kids. Their life will continue under the rule and reign of Jesus. So those who are glorified are not going to be having families and not giving the marriage, and they're, they're ruling and reigning. But you have those on the earth, righteous as it starts, who are in the flesh, who will have families, who will continue. Life will continue for a thousand years under the literal reign of Jesus on earth. And so we have this kingdom being ushered in, 
being established. So that means a fourth group emerges out of the two, the Jews and Gentiles that are still in the flesh. That fourth group is their offspring, and they are going to repopulate the earth. Verse 5 says this, The rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead are waiting for the throne judgment of Christ. These are the unrighteous. Blessed are those who are at the first resurrection. So the question is, what about the Old Testament saints, Rob? You haven't mentioned them. What about all those people who believed in the Old Testament? And we get to the reign of Jesus, and it's like, all right, we got the church, but those Old Testament people aren't the church, you know, and we got those who are in the flesh, and we got everybody else. They've been judged, and Jesus is returning. He's gotten rid of the armies, and Satan's bound. Okay, what about the Old Testament saints? What about those people who believed in the promise and were looking forward to the cross, you know, not knowing quite what they were looking forward to, but they knew the promises of God would be fulfilled. Well, um, a Jewish scholar by the name of Arnold Fruchtenbaum, uh, he says when Jesus returns that those Old Testament saints will also uh, be part of this first resurrection and that they are friends of the bridegroom. So he puts the wedding feast actually at the return on the earth where I put it in heaven before the return as we were looking uh, in Scripture a couple weeks ago. But he says when Jesus returns, he has the wedding feast on the earth with his bridegroom and the Old Testament saints are friends of the bridegroom and they will be there as well. And so there's just some uh, speculation as to where the wedding feast goes, but he would say that they come and they're part of the first resurrection as well. So the Old Testament saints are also in the millennial kingdom, but they are not having offspring and they are not uh, reproducing as the other people are. So you now have everyone accounted for. And the rest of the dead are waiting for the end of the thousand years at the judgment seat. So verse 6, we read this, Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. They will be priests with God, and they will rule with him. Priests show people, God. We are to be priests right now. Your job, my job, is to share Christ with people, to point people to, to King Jesus, to, to, to intercede on their behalf, to, to pray for them, and to, and to make him known. And when he's with us, we are still pointing people to him. We're still ushering in his righteous rule and doing what is, is necessary. We're saying, Worship King Jesus. We're, we're pointing to him, but he's with us. We see this in a, a couple of places in Revelation. Revelation 1, verses 5 and 6, it says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So he's made us here, priests and a kingdom. Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10, it says, And they sang a new song, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So again, kingdom 
and we are priests to the Lord. In Revelation 20, verse 5, this is our passage today, we see that we are reigning with him. The rest of the dead did not come alive until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. So here we're talking about this time where we're ruling and reigning, and there will be things set right. So we will reign with Christ. Church, you will reign with Jesus on the earth. If you are in Christ, he will have a job for you in the millennial kingdom. You will be his priest, his king. You will rule with him. You will bring righteous judgments. Why do there need to be righteous judgments? Well, we have a whole group of people who are still in the flesh. They still have a sin nature. And they will be living under the perfect righteous rule of Christ. But yet there will still be sin in the millennial kingdom. In this sense, he purges all sin at the beginning of the reign. That's the fulfillment. He purged it all. The first generation going into the millennial kingdom is righteous. They are all righteous. They are believers. There's no evil on the earth. He has fulfilled what Israel is looking for. But the next generation, the generation after that, that are being born, they're still in the flesh. They still struggle with that. But they just don't have the deceiver running around. They don't have Satan and, and, and that deception that he brings, that strong delusion running around to, to move them. And then the church is ruling with Christ. What happens? Well, uh, if you talk to our Messianic brothers and sisters, they would say when sin happens, there would be righteous judgment and sacrifices would be given, not to make you right. See, sacrifices in the Old Testament pointed forward to Christ at the cross. So when there was something that happened in the Old Testament, when there was sin, there was a sacrifice made, and they would go and they would point forward to the promise of one who would make all things right. In the millennial kingdom, when something happened, when there's sin and there needs to be a sacrifice made, it points back and says, all sufficient sacrifice was made at the cross here for us. It points back in faith. So the sacrifices don't make them righteous, but there is a righteous judgment that has to be done. And so you will see in the millennial kingdom that the, the temple worship and, and the sacrifices will be reinstituted to some degree. And so we see this where we are ruling and reigning with Christ because there needs to be rule and reign over the nations to make sure that righteousness reigns. Well, what would the kingdom look like? Well, that's one way it'll look. The kingdom will look like this. First, it's going to be a kingdom of joy. And, and for the sake of time, I'm not going to read all of these passages because uh, we're going to celebrate the Lord's table together, but you can jot down the references if you like. It's going to be a kingdom of joy. He's going to reinstitute joy in mankind. Like, there will be joy on the earth again, that we will have no more war anymore against one another, that there will be peace. Uh, the second thing you'll see is that there will be long life. In Isaiah chapter 65, it talks about how one who dies before being the age of 100 actually had a very short life. Men and women are going to live a very long time again in the millennial reign of Jesus. That long life that we saw in the Old Testament, that in Genesis, that is going to once again come around. People are going to be living a very long time. Uh, they're not going to... to to have the same circumstances, and so their life will be extended. 
uh, the third thing we see is that animals re- will return to a pre-fall state. That's going to be fun. Think of all the animals, like, you're like, I'd like to touch that thing, but it might eat me. You know, like, they're all going to be like the pre-fall state. They're going to be gentle and kind. It'll say that the lion eats hay like the oxen, that the wolf lays down with the lamb, that a young child will play by a, a, a viper's pit and not be harmed. So the animals will go back to a pre-fall state of being. And then the fourth thing, fourth thing we see is these times of worship will be reestablished. Uh, Zechariah 14, that one I do want to read if you can bring that one up for me. Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king and the Lord of hosts and keep the feast of booths. And if any of the families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king and the Lord of hosts, he will, there will be no rain on them. And if the family of Egypt does not go up and present themselves, then, then, on, then on them there shall be no rain. There shall be uh, the plague with which the Lord afflicts the nations that do not go up to keep the Feast of Booths. This shall be the punishment to Egypt and to the punishment of all the nations that do not go up to keep the Feast of Booths. And on that day there shall be inscribed on the bells of the horses, holy to the Lord. And the pots in the house of the Lord shall be as the bowls before the altar. And every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holy to the Lord of hosts. So that all who sacrifice may come and take of them and boil the meat of the sacrifice in them. And there shall be no longer be a traitor in the house of the Lord of hosts on that day. So you see that worship is reinstituted, that the Feast of Booths, Christ with us. He's Emmanuel, God with us. There's the tabernacling together with mankind. People come up yearly to see the Lord, to be with the Lord, to, to commemorate his return and what he has done. And those who do not, then he withholds rain. It makes sense. But at the same time, it's like, this is weird to think of a millennial reign like that, but it's Jesus on the earth making things right. This isn't the new heavens and new earth yet. This is him setting up his earthly reign here. After all the judgments are poured out and after all the things happen to the earth, he will come to the earth and set it back at peace. But still, coming is his recreating. Make sense? So we will rule for that thousand years. Now, the question why is Satan going to be loosed? Why indeed? Uh, the fourth group has only known the reign of Jesus. That's all they know. We have faith. Our faith is in that which has not been seen yet. The realization of things to come, like Christ has come and he sets up his reign on the earth, and then those who are born into this kingdom only know the rule and reign of Jesus. And they're still in the flesh. And in the flesh, they need to choose this day who they will serve. Satan will be loose. And he'll bring a great deception. And he'll say, you don't want to be under King Jesus. What, you want to live like this? Every year you've got to go up and give him a sacrifice? You can't, you can't do what you want to do. Like, you, have to, you have to listen to the church? You have to listen to his saints and his people? Like, you don't want to live like that. Like, you should be in charge. How about we get together, and we'll war against the Lamb, we'll get rid of that guy off of the throne, and we'll set up our own thing. We'll do life the way we want to do it. 
That's what he does. He brings this great deception. Those in the flesh have to decide. Joshua 24, 15. This, this verse, I think, speaks for it. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose to stay whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. People will have to make a choice. In that moment, Satan will be loosed. He will bring a great deception. Why does he have to be loose? For that generation, that, that group of people. They must decide. They must, they too, enter into eternal life by faith. And they will choose. It's anticlimactic. King Jesus will just bring fire from heaven after they surround everybody. We'll see that next week. Um, it's, it's not really a war. But what we see here is that God is setting all things right and he's fulfilling every promise. Every promise that he gave to Israel in the Old Testament is fulfilled here. Every promise that he's given about us reigning and ruling with him is fulfilled here. The millennial reign of Jesus where things are made new, things are made right on the earth, how it should have been. We see that for a thousand years. Well, church, we come to this moment where we remember what Christ has done by taking the Lord's Supper together. We remember that his body was broken for us, his blood was shed, that by his stripes we are healed, that we have new life in him, and that every time we take this, we are proclaiming his death, and we're also proclaiming his return. I love that Paul says that. As often as you take it, you're proclaiming not only his, his life and death and resurrection and new life in Christ, the gospel, but you're also proclaiming that this Jesus will once again return and will reign. And so we come to this moment together where we just read about him coming and reigning. Now we get to come and worship and say, come, Lord Jesus, come. We get to say, thank you for the new life in Christ. Thank you for making us born again and giving us that hope and a future that's secure, and that blessing that one day we will reign with him. And as often as we take it, we say, come, Lord, come. And we look forward to his coming again. Will you pray with me? And then I'm going to introduce a few people that are new to our fellowship, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. As I pray, worship team, you can come up. Father God, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for... Uh, all that Christ has done and is yet to do. We thank you that you fulfill all your promises, that we know our salvation is secure in him because he is almighty God. We thank you for his blood being poured out for us. We thank you that his body was broken for our sin. We thank you for new life. The good news that we can be born again by faith in Christ alone. And so, Father, we come. We come to worship you by taking the table together. And, Father, we also come proclaiming that we look forward to that day when Christ will return. And it's in the name of Jesus we worship. Amen. Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping Him. If you don't have a church home, 
consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. For more information on how to get connected, deepen your faith, and experience what God has for you, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com.